Hi there and welcome to Raising Resilient Teens, the podcast version. My name is Sasha Lester and I'm so grateful you're here with me today, where we talk about all things teenagers, raising teenagers and the joys that go with it. With that, let's kick it off. And welcome back to another episode of Raising Resilient Teens. My name is Sasha Lester and I am so grateful that you could join me today. I have a guest speaker, Ms. Sandra Quessel, and I hope I said that correctly. And she is joining us all the way from the other side of the world. So I am very appreciative of her time today. Just a little bit about Sandra before we throw to her. Her bio is gorgeous. I love reading bios. For 30 years, she fostered children with complex behavioural concerns for whom every other placement failed. She's worked with children, youth and families in just about every setting, including day treatment, counselling, residential, vocational, group home, educational, therapeutic and correctional settings. She's created a program, which she will tell us about, that results in heading and growth and has achieved in unprecedented success in the above settings. Creator of Pillars for Success Parenting Program, leading families in healthy relationships through the demystification and reversal of negative, challenging and sometimes aggressive or dangerous behaviours. And quite frankly, I think Sandra is going to be such a valuable asset to um, our podcast because if nothing else, I love talking about the issues that kind of nobody else likes talking about. So Sandra, welcome. I'm so glad to have you today. If we will just throw to you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, um, yeah, and what's led you here today. Over to you. Okay, and I can tell you what led me on this journey to begin with. So I was the youngest of two children. My brother was two years older than I was, and um, he had challenges and problems and behavior issues from the time he was very young. Clearly, I grew up in that home, so I can tell you there wasn't a great deal of imbalance and pathology in that home. Um, So whatever was going on in him, I believe, also involved uh, chemical imbalances and whatever else causes bizarre, difficult, challenging behaviors. He committed suicide. I was 16 years old. He was 18 when he committed suicide. And somewhere in the course of those years, I made a pledge uh, that I was going to find answers for families that my family could not find. They had um, been to psychiatrists, psychologists, research hospitals, meds, changing meds, everything in the world was tried and um, and nothing helped. So I made a commitment to find out um, more about human needs and what was going on in that kind of a situation, not only for the youth slash child who was involved, but for uh, the entire family. And um, I believe I have found answers for families that my family couldn't find. The first thing I did, um, and we all know about the DSM, no matter what part of the world we're in, uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And um, I think it must be, it's very impressive professionally, but I think it must be written in some kind of a foreign language that does doesn't even exist on planet Earth because the the it is so complex. It is so confusing and is so overwhelming for families. And um, so what I have tried to do in working with children and families and every setting on planet or directing day treatment centers, you name it, I think I have done it. Um, Working in preschools, preschools to day treatment to everything in between. 
And what I um, have, and the families, of course, it's never just the child. There's the dynamics of what is going on in the relationships and the families that might be contributing to it, that in some cases caused it, um, and that certainly presents challenges for how to heal and resolve it. And um, what I learned was that there are so many aspects to what goes on between the members of the family, and that it's much more than just dealing with trying to support and find healing for the child or the person who is the focus, um, but rather to consider it part of a group process on the part of everybody who is involved uh, with that child. So what I what I teach families is that it's never just about the action of any one person, i.e., for example, the child who is acting out. It is uh, what happens between two people is always about an action, a reaction, and an interaction. So regardless of what the child puts out in terms of his or her behavior and challenges, the solution is going to be found by understanding the dynamics of the communication that is going on. So at a point in my career, I um, I left a position directing um, a day treatment center, and one of the social workers asked me if I would be interested in fostering one of these children who had done who had failed in so many different placements and was successful in the treatment center that I had been directing. And I was very surprised. And I said, well, you know, let me think about it. Her name was Jennifer. And I said, yes, I will, because she made such fantastic growth. I hated for that to be lost. And I said, yes, we will try. I went home, talked to my husband, talked to the kids, my children. And I said, we will give it a try and hopefully be able to make a difference in her life. And And how old were you at that time? And how old was she? I was probably in my 30s at that time. And Jennifer was maybe 12 or 13, something like that, kind of a preteen. So it began with Jennifer. And I began to examine and evaluate and reevaluate all of the techniques that I had learned. And again, through my undergrad and my counseling degree, um, all of the psychology that I had learned, all of the, I'm certainly not a doctor, but all of the um, chemical um, insights that I was uh, understanding about meds that were given. And I um, I began to work in a new way with children. And I decided that the models that existed in many ways were so heavy and so burdensome, if not for the professionals, certainly for the families. These are families that are tired, that are exhausted, that maybe can be contributing and or the cause of some of the imbalance that is going on or all of the imbalance and the acting out behaviors that is going on on the part of the child. But nevertheless, if you're going to reach people, especially people who are um, under such stress, you're going to have to meet them at their level. They haven't gotten the energy to do anything past that. And so I began to study human behavior uh, right after my brother's suicide. I changed my major in college, um, the whole nine yards. And I began to look for answers that would help families understand behaviors rather than be completely intimidated 
by the professional language that was used um, and the approaches that were used in uh, the experts versus the family. And ultimately, and I and I so I kind of put those models aside. I didn't ignore them. I didn't disrespect them. I thought, let me see what else is out there in terms of opportunities and insights and how we could possibly, possibly hope for better outcomes for the children and families who are involved. And what I did was, and again, this is over a number of years, I ultimately came up with not 103 written in some Greek language that was certainly a sophisticated psychiatric terminology. I ultimately, over and over and over again, whether it was with the foster children in my home, because Jennifer was the first, but there were other children who followed. And I had a child come to me at the age of five who had only who had been in ten placements in two years before he came into my home. And by the how way, how many he, of you? How many foster children have you had over the thirty years? And do you have, have any well, at the moment? Well, they there were such complexities to these children, and the healing that was going to occur in their lives was something that was built over so much brokenness in their in their lives. Yep. So I had them for a long time time until they were able to be transferred into a different home to move on in their lives. And Um, were you only ever able to have the capacity um, to have like one foster child at a time or like were you asked to take more but you just didn't feel that you could? My focus was the children, their needs and uh, the healing and giving them opportunities for growth. So, um, and actually when I was pulled out of my home because he began to do so well that um, that the Department of Social Services in his county said that they were going to find a, um, not a foster home for them, an adoptive home for them, for this child. And I said, please, I said, he has had so much loss and so much failure and so much brokenness. He is now just finding the coping mechanisms, the social skills, the trust that it takes in a relationship. I said, please do not move this kid. And they did it anyway. They moved him out of my home and he bounced through. I, the last I heard was about 40, 40, 40 different placements because he started pulling all of the things that were behaviors that led to the issues that he could no longer be in a home placement. And, um, and it, it just, it just broke my heart. But talking about that leads me to the model that I have used. And honestly, I have never seen this model not apply in an effective way to any child or youth who I have ever worked with. So it talks that the my model includes three major reasons, not 103, three major reasons of why children have behavior challenges that are exhibited, that are being exhibited and that are causing such challenges in their relationships and in their success in life. And the and I call it the ABCs, challenging and defiant behavior. So um, let me just look here for one second. Well, without going into the book for a second. So first, the A is attention. There is nothing a human being will not do to get someone to pay attention to them, to note that they exist. Whether it's negative or positive. Yeah. This is what I was going to say. And believe me, if they can't get your attention positively, 
They sure know how to get it other ways so that there is no way to escape giving them attention. This The B, so that's the A, is attention. B is basic survival. And that is a place to sleep, food to eat, clothes to wear, some of the basic things that takes to be able to get through one day at a time in life without benefiting in any great way, but just your basic survival needs. And the third one is control and power. And control and power is a sense of some kind of control and power over your life, over what's happening in it. And once again, there is nothing these kids will not do to have, there's nothing any human being won't do, but we all find other pathways to achieve these needs. But for these kids, they have not been able to do that. Life has not taught them and given them support to grow in those areas because their lives have been full of chaos, loss, and changes, particularly in the foster care system. And um, using that model, I began to build therapeutic responses to all that was going on in the lives of these children. So now we're no longer talking about a kid. Yes, there are safety issues. No, they cannot and should not be um, overlooked or ignored uh, because the kid can either really uh, cause damage to himself or to others. So the safety issue is is definitely a factor. But beyond that, what I have taught families and the staff I've directed day treatment centers, the staff who I have worked with and the parents who I've worked with is that the behaviors that they are seeing these children exhibit, it's not about bad behavior. It's not about uh, belligerent behavior. It's not about bratty behavior. It's a desperate attempt on the part of the child to get these three basic human needs met. And they will do anything to make that happen. They're not aware of it. It's not, they don't sit down and plan it. They just do whatever they can to get those three needs met. Sandra, what are some of the common behavioral problems that you yourself have witnessed over the years with children? Everything from uh, physical aggression to the point where um, human safety is at stake. I have not worked with um, a child who I was ever concerned with uh, in terms of um, suicidal attempts, but certainly um, there were uh, definitely safety issues in terms of human safety, um, of those who were, who were uh, around them. And of course, in institutional settings, like uh, the treatment settings that I'd been in, the residential settings um, where I had worked, um, you know, there were those issues also. And those kids were given, you know, all kinds of medicines, some of them to the point where they were um, numb. I mean, they were, they, they, they had two legs, they had eyes and could look at you, but they, you know, they were just totally numb from the level of meds that they had. And I never, the foster kids used to come into my home. I mean, one of them came in with like seven bottles of meds. It was unbelievable. And what I did was began again to work with these children because out of the approach that I use come a whole set of techniques for how to meet the child's needs, how to keep safety, how to um, begin to build the most incredible um, thing called trust, to begin to build a sense of safety in the world for these children, because their worlds are just completely imbalanced. Um, and so that's what we did. I can. It's too bad we don't have a connection so you could see. I wish you could see so again, going through grad school and everything else, we certainly appreciate and respect the many books and the many pages in um, 
in professional literature. And I also, as I worked with families, began to um, observe and uh, and consider what would be, what kind of help and support were these people really getting? And what could we give them that might increase uh, their ability to um, sit and listen to new approaches, to sit and listen to new perspectives? Because the approaches are useless unless they're built on solid perspectives of, of what this behavior is about. So, um, and again, my model uh, for the behavior is all about a desperate attempt on the part of the child to get one or more of the ABCs, uh, the attention, basic survival and control and power, one or more of those human needs met. So I wish you could see the book. Um, I have never met a parent who, or a staff member actually, who could read a 160 page book, a professional book, uh, when they're frustrated, when they're, you know, things are upside down and out of balance. And I wish you could see now we don't have that connection, but the Pillar Success Parenting book, it's bigger than a paperback, but not a whole lot bigger. And it has including my bio in there, which isn't that long, but it has 80, a total 87 pages. Um, and it's fairly good sized print. And the whole point of it is that you're not going to get frustrated, tired people who are angry at the kids who are angry at themselves, who hate the kids, hate themselves, because they can't find anything positive about themselves and how they're handling the kids. It's just a frustrated, um, um, upside down, no balance in their lives that's going on. So the Pillars for Success Parenting book is this thin little paperback that um, talks about there are there are nine major pillars, nine basic concepts that um, become the core and the um, the baseline for what we teach to families and staff members. I mean, I've taught staff at. Uh, who work in day treatment and, and residential facilities. Uh, and it's a whole new perspective on why children do what they do. So we're not talking about acting out nasty, aggressive kids who just want to hurt and, um, and frighten other people. We're talking about a desperate attempt, a child who is making a desperate attempt that he cannot even define. He's just doing it. He hasn't planned it to uh, find balance in his life in one or more of those three areas, the attention, basic survival, and control and power. And there's nothing those kids won't do to achieve that balance. And it can become very dangerous. Sandra, what are some of the lessons that your foster children have taught you? Because, you know, Know, children are amazing teachers when we think about it. Yeah. So what are some of the lessons that you can reflect they on? They are the children. I put aside all the, um, I didn't put it aside. I set it on the side um, and began working with children to learn from them, not to impose upon my work with them models that had been created um, professionally, but I learned from them what was what was the original instigators, these unmet needs for this behavior. And what I learned from them is they are terribly frightened. Their lives are in total chaos. They have little to nothing. They have really no stability in their lives. And they actually don't have people in their lives that they can count on who are 
consistently there for them, sometimes doing it, providing support in a positive way, sometimes struggling through because they don't have the skills and the insights to understand what's going on. Um, But their world is, for the most part, a world of chaos and a world of loss um, and not a world in which they feel safe. And if you take any creature and you put those uh, variables together, you're going to get someone who's going to do whatever it takes to make that horrible discomfort and fear go away. And so when I when I finalized and understood what this behavior was about, and then my goal was to begin to satisfy these unmet needs of the child for attention, the behavior, the control and power. Uh, and as I began to do that, I am telling you, the changes that occurred were absolutely phenomenal. Matter of fact, the child who had been came to me at the age of five and had been in 10 placements in two years is um, has actually had administered. He has most of the children who are in my life have kept in touch with me, which is, I think, just lovely that they've. Yeah, that was one of my questions. Yeah, that is lovely. And he um, actually was in a um, administrative position at a, in a treatment center and a center that uh, found placements for children, which I thought was phenomenal here. He had chosen to dedicate himself to the same, um, to, to support children and families to get through the same hurdles that um, he survived himself and was able to rebuild his life. Yeah. Matter of fact, he called me earlier today and I was working with another client and I said, you know, can I, I'll need to call you later. So after this meeting, actually, I'm going to call him and, you know, hi, what's up? What's going on? Yeah. 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 Well, you can tell him about the awesome interview you had with the Aussie. I certainly will. I've been looking forward <laughs> to the interview. You're so well-respected and I, I just was excited to have a chance to interact with you. Oh, thank you. Um, on touching that, you, like you, you've said over the past half hour that, you know, you've fostered so many children and blah, blah, blah. Do you know the exact number? Oh, or did it, they wasn't just- a, it wasn't a question of the number of children. It was the question of the depth of the commitment. So yeah. basically, uh, there were, I think, over those 30 years were about seven children. Wow. They, uh, yep. Yep, they grew up in my home. Um, and actually, this one that I was telling you who I'm going to be calling later, of course, he's an adult now. But um, I felt one day, you know, we had the discussion about adoption uh, after his as an as a young adult, after his placement in my home. And I I had four children um, in my original family, not the children who came to me through um, foster care system. And the children who came to me through the foster care system were so complex and such a challenge and had had so much failure in their lives. And I decided after a tremendous amount of soul searching that for me to take on this commitment was one thing, but that if something ever happened to me, car accident, whatever, Mm -hmm. that if they were legally family members, that the responsibility for their care would fall to my children. And I felt like that was not a fair thing to do to another human being. And that when we make these commitments, we make we we should have the right to make them freely and let them be our choice, not something that is um, the result of a, a legal um, a legal what's the word I don't know a legal arrangement. Yeah, yeah. So yep. I so that was the only reason I had made a decision to help children like this. I didn't. I that doesn't mean that the children in my home who were there first made that same decision. As a 
matter of fact, um, the the couple of kids who were older, I mean, one was out in college, one, you know, they knew these kids peripherally, but didn't even grow up with them. And again, the severity and complexity of the children I took into my home um, would say that, you know, it would be a challenge to continue if, let's say, I had a car accident or whatever. And I just felt like I couldn't make that decision for another human being. It leads very well into my next question that I've jotted down. How has fostering children affected your own children in a, in a positive or negative way? Or had they left home before you started fostering? I think that it has um, uh, them compassion. I think that um, it, I think it has taught them that life is not always full of everything's their way. And yep. that, um, and that uh, parenting them involves uh, a, a much more uh, complex approach to to how to take care of everything and keep a balance. So whether it was meeting their needs, but then you had to be sure that these children who had very different kinds of uh, needs and challenges they were facing um, wouldn't wouldn't cause what's the word anger, hurt, things like that out of what logical children. A fair amount of um, focus. It was a lot of focus on keeping a balance between how everyone was feeling about this. My young children, we didn't my biological children, we didn't have a family discussion if I had made the decision because I had seen so much pain and suffering in the lives of the children I was working with professionally. And um, and I felt like I could difference in their lives. I, w- I believe that I have been able to do that. As a, as a foster carer, did you yourself have support throughout your journey? Like, was there a gl- group close by or others that were fostering that you were connected with? Or were you just doing it all by yourself and hoping to God that you got it right? Well, there's licensure that's required. There's yep. um, So you have to be under the um, auspices of agency. So um, And you have to go to certain trainings and you have to discussion groups, those are requirements. Yeah. Um, so you have those experiences that- anyway. How much did I feel that contributed to my work? Um, I, I don't believe, I don't believe, I believe that what I have developed as a support base for families, uh, whether it's adoptive families or not, it can be bio families who face these challenges um, in the behavior of the children. Um, and so I believe that what I learned and the support I got as a foster parent was uh, limited. It was clearly defined. And it had to, and it was like, you know, so we got the laws or whatever state we have the, we have to give this much and that's what we'll do. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like it was more of a mechanical requirement than it was, um, than it was a helpful support. That was my experience. Can I ask, what do you think you would have been doing had you not been asked if you could foster Jennifer or had you said um, no? What do you think you would have been doing? Well, one doesn't go through um, surviving uh, the suicide of a sibling and all of the hurt and challenges that everybody faced, including him, uh, without having it touch their lives in some way. For me, it wasn't Jennifer and the others. It was what was going on inside for me. I was determined to find answers for families that my family couldn't find, whether they were bio families, adoptive families, whatever, and or whether it wasn't even families, but staff working in treatment facilities. And um, it's just amazing how, how much possible 
positive change can occur when you take an entirely new perspective on why that child is acting. So it's a bad kid. It's not. It's about a desperate attempt on the part of the child to have those three big needs met. And they're s- simple, basic needs. But when those needs are met, we um, we have a sense of balance and safety in our lives. And when they're not, uh, again, I've never seen children um, and complexities of the children in their lives, you know, the, the, the behaviors exist on a continuum from totally out of control to, you know, just kind of constant bratty challenging behavior, but nothing that's, you know, seriously uh, threatening or dangerous. Um, And every time I work with a family, so now as a counselor, I've done it, but every time I work with a family and begin to give these parents perspectives of what's going on and why. And the the other thing that I also teach them is not only you parents, but you also must understand that you are the survivors of your parents' parenting. And each one of us um, have had our own experiences uh, with the people who raised us and those affected part of who we are also. So, um, and I just ask them to kind of, as as we go through this, to set a lot of that aside, to be very aware of it, but to set a lot of that aside and to begin to consider, even consider these new insights and perspectives I'm going to be teaching them. And, um, and it's a matter of fact, I just did a class recently and uh, for an agency here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, just got the parent feedback sheet. I mean, it's just phenomenal what these people have been able to do um, to rebuild and restructure uh, the interactions and the relationships in their family. And when it begins to fall apart, because we also talk about there's research of how many days it takes to change a behavior. And there's different studies, but there's one that goes up to 200 days for a behavior to positively get anchored up to 200 days. But again, there's different research um, with those with different numbers, but they all say it takes a lot to learn a new behavior and for that to become permanent. So for each of us, who we are and how we parent is a conglomeration of what we've experienced from the day we were born in whatever our situation was, whether it was living with a relative, living with our bio parents, living in a foster, whatever it was. Um, and it's important to consider all of that, both when you're parenting your own children um, and facing challenges. The, the, the issue is not the challenges you face. The issue is when the challenges, when you are blinded to the possibility of understanding what your experiences, what your challenges in life have brought in terms of your uh, skills to handle when others present challenges also. And it's so the other thing, that we talk about is uh, that again that every we've talked about it before, but that everything that happens between two people is always always about an action, a reaction, and an interaction. And I've, it's one of my first notes that I've written down, and I immediately thought of a situation with my son, um, and I've mentioned it a few times in some of my podcasts. I think he was in about grade five, and he was playing cricket, never liked cricket. He punched this kid down the other end. We spoke about it afterwards, and yeah. he'd been, um, you know, punished from the school, and his grandparents had spoken to him, and his dad had spoken to him. 
and he got to me after work because my husband and I had split and he and he said well I suppose you want to talk to me about it too and I said I said honey every action has a reaction and yes I do want to talk about it but in those split seconds you you have a decision like okay he's done something to me what what's going to be my reaction and you've got a split second to make a positive or negative impact and you've just chosen negative and now you have to deal with those ramifications and yes I'd like to talk about it and he's like oh yeah right yo um and and I still bring it up now like he's nearly 20 and he still remembers the situation and he still remembers the conversation with me so it's quite funny and he's like I remember so clearly what you said and it wasn't about the punishment because I don't even think I dished out anything because he'd got it from everyone under the sun it was more the you know I'm disappointed in you you probably should have thought for a few more seconds if you really wanted to hit the kid down the other end it was it was a valuable lesson very early very early on for him that's for sure and you mentioned a couple of things so what i've done is i have researched both through other expert um avenues and in my own experiences i have researched some of the most minute factors that affect what goes on between uh parents and children between any two people and um, so one of them is this thought that whatever happens is never, it is never just about the behavior of the child. It is what happens between two people, as I said, is all about an action, a reaction, and an interaction. Because depending on how the other person responds and the following interaction that occurs, that has everything to say with what uh, about what this experience is going to be like and what the possibilities are as outcomes. Now, the other thing that you mentioned, so there are, um, in, ex- in researching all the minute things that people aren't aware of, I've also um, uh, researched what I refer to as contaminated words. And so there's one word, you know, if we're going to swear at someone, you know, we've certainly there's a a substitute for it called the F-bomb. You've heard of that for the F word. Um, And this, I say, is as strong as as, this word is as strong as the F-bomb. And the word begins with C and the word is consequences. As soon as you talk to a child about the consequences for his behavior, it it brings such a negative shadow into the interaction. So in the pillars for success, the parents, families, staff who were all anyone who's working with children. And by the way, the only difference between children and adults, everybody's got two ages. Everybody's got their chronological age and everybody's got their developmental age and then development. So this is another principle in the pillars for success that's important to understand. And so you you may be a 14-year-old or, or even an eight-year-old, whatever age it is, but based on your needs and how you respond to what's going on in your life, you have develop, different developmental levels in, in every area of growth, physical growth, personal social growth, emotional growth, all of it. And so we need to understand that. But there's another concept that I also work with, and there are so many I've pulled out, but this one has to do with contaminated words. There are words that will literally trigger a negative response in the person who's to being um, interest. And, and, the, and one of the words, I refer to it as, as the C word, and it's, uh, it's like the C bomb, and that word is consequences. 
So in the pillars for success, the children who whose adult the adults who come to learn about the rules and tools, and there are so many that are so simple to understand once you realize they exist, is the concept of contaminated words. There are certain words that will trigger in a child, oh yeah, well, you can't make me. They just and one of those words is the C word, like the F bomb. The C word is the word consequences. So in the pillars for success, we don't have consequences for for behaviors. We have outcomes. I've chosen an entirely new word that is completely neutral. So basically what the pillars for success, what I have done in the years that I created it and, and revised it and tested it and improved it was look at the minuscule uh, contributors to be human behavior and human interactions and human feelings. And every one of those has been addressed so that parents, staff, whoever is familiar with the Pillars for Success program is also very familiar with things that they never even considered before. Simple things that you that just have never been considered that have a tremendous impact on human behavior, human interactions, and uh, behavioral outcomes. So, yep, no, that's fantastic. And true typical style, we seem to have run out of time. So, I will definitely have to make <laughs> um, make some more time to tuck um, to talk to talk to talk about um there's so many other topics that I want to talk about so Sandra thank you so much for joining me today I really appreciate it um I hope I have not taken you down the road which was not where you were quite headed when we began. no 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 it's good I like the okay. road okay okay thank you so, thank you so much and just like that it's a wrap I hope you've enjoyed the last 20 or so minutes and have walked away with some golden nuggets of information. If you'd like to join our Raising Resilient Teens Facebook group, the link will be in the comments. And until next time, ciao.